Welcome to this week's episode of the Healthy Church Growth Show podcast, and this is episode 45. And I'm delighted to have with me author, uh, a woman of God, who is going to talk about the soul. How many of us have actually listened or to a sermon about our souls or learned about it through our discipleship? Very few, including myself. So I'm very intrigued to know what she's going to say. She has written a book called Sin Tastes Good, and it's an intriguing t- title, and we want to know and unpack what that's all about. So, Raina, how are you? And you're over in California, I believe. Uh, that's right. I'm actually in Arizona today, but I, I go back and forth between California and Arizona. And I just want to thank you, Minister Madge. It's such an honor to be here. And I'm really excited to dig into your questions and prayerfully just speak into the audience's heart and whatever people need who are listening out there. Amen. And, you know, I don't take it for granted the time that you've given us today. So thank you. Uh, On top of the time difference, which we were saying, you know, can cause a bit of confusion. Now we're in British summertime. So thank you for that. So Raina, can you tell me a bit about your background and what led you to this point? Sure. Well, we were talking a little bit before the show about my background. I actually grew up in the jungles of Borneo in Brunei as a kid and um, experienced an amazing life going to a British international school out there. Um, But my church background is really what led to this book. And um, so I went to a really great church growing up. It was somewhat part of the Calvary Chapel system, but it had began to get away from just teaching theology to getting deeper into what that theology means in your life and in your soul. And my pastor, he was getting a lot of judgment for just allowing anyone into the church, kind of like Jesus would. And just as Jesus got a lot of judgment for allowing sinners and prostitutes and things into his ministry, right? Um, He was saying, you know, it's a church for everyone. Everyone should be welcome here and was getting some, um, you know, sort of fundamentalist pushback on that. And so he took a sabbatical. He went to this Catholic monastery, a Benedictine monastery up in the coast of California and mentored under a monk for months. And um, he ended up eventually leaving that church. But what he brought from that time where he mentored under this monk and he videoed the exchange between him and this monk. And I really, one thing I love about studying monks, and I like to study them from the different centuries, is that a monk who is in a Catholic monastery, just reading the Bible, singing praises every day, whatever they write about the scriptures, it is not to appease anyone who's paying their salary, because there's no one paying their salary. Um, You know, they don't have to, uh, (laughs) they don't have to please anyone who's going to read it. It's just, they're true. They've read the scriptures. They've meditated in time with God. And, and this is what's come from it. And they still all say different things. But I really love that kind of unadulterated message where it's only here's what I read. Here's what I got from that. And, and you get what you can. Um, and so that really led to me visiting monasteries. My favorite one is this particular one. And it's a silent monastery. So the only time you're even speaking is when you're singing the hymns and lauds and vespers. Um, and then if you choose to meet with a monk. And 
that journey of silence and actually listening to God changed my prayer life and changed the, my relationship with my soul and Christ. Because before, and it's kind of a joke, but it's absolutely true. My prayer life was uh, a laundry list of my problems for God and then telling him how to fix those problems. <laughs> because, you know, I know best, of course. <laughs> sounds, sounds familiar. Absolutely. And so learning what's called contemplative prayer, uh, you know, silent listening for God and really learning to hear the voice of God and trust it and move forward has shined through in my life. And I share a lot of that in the book as well as um, questions to ask ourselves, because I really believe that I and no human have the answers for any other human. However, I may have the right questions for you to ask yourself <clears throat> something that you've never asked before. And that will lead you to asking God and finding the answers in Christ, because he's the only one who has any answers for your soul. Hmm. We're going to ask you now, then, um, since you've mentioned that word a couple of times, what do you define as the soul and why is it important to Christians? So I, I talk about in the book all the different ways we could define soul, right? And maybe how it has been defined in history. But what, what I get down to is the true self. And um, there's a monk, and I can't remember which century he's in. I think he's in the early 20th century, Thomas Merton. Yes. And he talks a lot about the true self and the false self. And of course, you know, our false self, even in church, our false self can be, oh, did someone see me tithe that, you know, that I put a hundred in the bucket. Did someone see that, you know, um, or even, or even secretly like, well, I did a better job and God is going to reward me in a prideful way. Right. Or uh, more relatably for some, it could be, you know, a title or the type of car they drive or, or just anything that society has put on you to want. And you do genuinely, genuinely want that, but your false self often wants that. And I want to be clear that that doesn't mean that we're not profitable. It doesn't mean we're not still the lenders and not the borrowers. Um, it just means that we're not chasing after things because of some false status, um, desire. So that that's the false self. So the true self would be the even the secret desires of your heart as God would say. You know, it's that that place that has been untarnished by society's wants and needs and is truly seeking after God and and is the truest part of you. And so I would I call that the soul, though, you know, we'll get to heaven and see if that's what we mean. But I believe like that's the only part of us that goes on afterward, you know, the part of us who wants to build a fortune 500 company and get a BMW is not going to heaven with us, you know, like, because none of that will matter after mm. we pass. Now there's nothing wrong with it on earth. I'm not saying at all that if you desire to build a fortune 500 company and own a BMW, that's wonderful too. Mm. It just is not necessarily the true self desires. Mm. Um, but perhaps building a fortune 500 company in order to, like for me, um, when I was making tons of money, it really helped me to bless my orphanages I work with in Russia and go to the places and do the things that, you know, money provides us to be able to do. So it's really, I think, important in the church because, yes, we don't want a prosperity gospel saying, you know, pray to God and you get a Ferrari. But we also don't want a depravity gospel that says, 
if you're more poor, you're more holy, because that's not true either. And those two states, so, yeah, the exist, true self, uh, the imbalance, world. and um, I think that's really yes. important point, um, particularly for discipleship. And I've got a, a lot to say about discipleship or the lack thereof in some circumstances, and and this is part of it. Absolutely, absolutely. Oh, I was gonna say, I think of you know. Um, I think crusades are wonderful and a lot of people get saved, but sometimes, especially historically, that discipleship hasn't been there. And so we get a lot of seeds along the roadside who get blown yes. away um, and, and never truly receive the word of God because they made an emotional decision, which is fine, and accepted Christ as their savior, but then never got discipleship and yeah. um, you know, never got rooted in the word of God. And so I think you're right. Discipleship is even more important than how many uh, souls we save, you know, is, you know, how many people do we truly help get more rooted in the word and rooted in their soul, their spirit with God and being able to listen to the Lord and move forward and do mighty things in his name, not because we're Christians and that's what we do, but because we're actually hearing that calling. Mm. But it's interesting, Raina, because in the book you used, right at the beginning, you used a Tibetan parable um, to describe exactly what the soul is. Now, I know that if we are fundamentalists and there are people that exist in that category, <laughs> they might have an objection to that and maybe have closed the book. So why did you use that example? Um, well, because the book is really written to two very different demographics and, and the in-between. But one, it's written for the seeker, the person who really wants Jesus, but not how they've seen it in a lot of churchy people. You know, you have hear, hear a lot of stories of the uh, evangelical who's born again, and they're judgier and a worse human than they were before. And then they're trying to tell people, you know, come, you know, come know Jesus. He's made me so much better. And people are going, nope, nope. I don't want anything to do with the Jesus that you're talking about. Right. Um, and so I described this in the book because I started out life 10 years in the fitness industry. Um, and I'm like, it's like the person who's, you know, a uh, hundred pounds overweight and saying, Hey, you need to do this diet. It's great, but it hasn't changed them. You know, mm. however, mm. if a person has lost a hundred pounds, they're athletic and they have so much energy and a better attitude. They don't need to tell anyone what diet to go on. People will ask, what are you doing? doing? Because they want those results too. And when we are filled with the fruits of the spirit and we're growing in love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control every year of our lives, people ask, how are you peaceful in that situation? How are you still joyful when this is happening? And this is where it's attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, but we don't know if he really said it, is go out and preach the gospel and when necessary, use words, right? It, we need to be living that. And um, unfortunately, that's what so many people don't see in our churches. And so it's written to that person as well. And so, yeah, I've included a Tibetan parable, a couple of Buddhist quotes, you know, and I've told people if G I'm going to use the words Jesus, Christ, God, um, sin, uh, salvation in this book. And if those aren't words that are resonating with you right now, please feel free to use what does. Cause I really think when we look at scriptures, we see God not wanting to give his name away because it just distracts. And then, you know, we get to 
Yahweh, we get to I am and Yahweh and different um, along the way. But I feel like God never wanted us to pigeonhole him into some category of a name. And I, I believe, honestly, when I um, first com- started coming back to Christ, and I talk about it in the book, I had a hard time using the word Jesus because it had been used so cliche. You know, what would Jesus do? And Jesus loves you, but I don't. Here's a pamphlet, <laughs> you know? Um, and so, like, the word Jesus had become kind of toxic for me. And so I totally understand people who want Christ, but the words just don't resonate because they've been beaten over the head with these words. But it's also written to the people in the church who are seeing people leave in droves. They're seeing that this message is not getting to the people and that we're in this old wineskin trying to put new patches all over it and it's just busting at the seams. And so it's for those people to start asking new questions. What are we in the church doing, saying, being, acting like that is driving people away in droves? And how do we seek God? Yeah. How do we you know, we are believers and we want to grow deeper in Christ. So how do we seek him and listen to his guiding to become this new wineskin that the world so desperately needs? Mm. So it's really written to both. Mm. Um, and yeah, I actually, when I was praying and God gave me this title, Sin Tastes Good, I was like, no, nope, that can't be the title. Christians won't read it. <laughs> we, but it was like, it's not just for the people who are good churchgoers. It's for those who want me, but aren't finding me in the places they've been searching. And so it looks, you know, very salacious with this, this the apple. apple dripping with like candy and <laughs> blood looking, you know, um, and, and the, the title describes, you know, the subtitle is nourishing your soul in an empty calorie world. Mm. Um, and so that I think we all get, we live in this empty calorie world and our soul is starving. Um, and then, for, you know, I mentioned things that Christians will relate to and things that non-Christians will relate to. You know, sometimes as Christians, we're still feeding ourselves debt and gossip and judgment, right? These are just empty calories for the soul. Mm. And then, you know, as the non-Christians, I mentioned, you know, one night stands and going out partying and waking up, you know, foggier than you ever were before. And I redefine certain terms like sin not in a different way, but reminding people, it just means to miss the mark. And if we put guilt and shame on people, oftentimes they walk off the field rather than just correcting their aim. And then with uh, repentance, you know, it simply means that if you want something on the right, but you're walking left, you just need to turn around and start walking right. And so taking the guilt and shame off of these words that again, have pushed away droves out of the church, you know, helps them realize these are just terms Here's what they actually mean. And repentance and turning from sin are good things. And you don't have to um, think that you're this horrible sinner that's going to be struck by lightning if you go into a church uh, because you're (laughs) thinking about these words. Well, you just mentioned the problem. I, I I did some studies in theology myself and my research project was around retention challenges. And that's what I... I kind of specialize in even now, even through COVID and the pandemic and everything, because it's still going on. People's attitudes haven't really changed in some quarters. And so you're talking about retention and why people Mm -hmm. would 
walk away from a church and sometimes we have to be real about that but you you also said in the book which was really interesting to me that you were you self-admittedly said that you were egotistical tell me about that absolutely I mean I I don't think I could write about egotistical Christianity if I hadn't actually been the as um Paul says, the sinner of sinner, the Pharisee of Pharisees, right? If I hadn't actually been the person judging everybody else and thinking that I was such a good girl and such a good Christian, I don't think I could write this book from a place of genuine authenticity. But I have been that person. And I've been the person who just wants to slap an affirmation on any problem, you know, and say like, Jesus will handle that for you. And granted, yes, Christ will come into your situation and handle it for you. But it's not as simple as just saying that to someone without really coming alongside them and being their brother and sister in Christ and and being in the mourning part with him, you know, like Jesus wept, Mm. even though he knew Lazarus was going to walk out of that grave in a few minutes, he still wept with them because that's where they were. He didn't just say, it's okay, Lazarus is going to raise, you know, and that's what we tend to do in our Christianity. And I did it more than anyone because honestly, I just wasn't of a character enough to go that deep. Because I didn't, I was uncomfortable with uncomfortable emotions. Like many of us are, you know, you make a joke to cheer somebody up, but we are supposed to mourn with those who mourn. And so I really talk about when my brother died, this was just a wake up call for me. So I had this group called the Happy Women's Society. And it was a group of women who were going to always talk about positive things, right? And, uh, you know, it was well-intentioned, but bad. And so, um, you know, I was always the affirmations and don't you rain on my parade because we're going to be happy all the time. And then, you know, my brother, who was my best friend, we grew up in that jungle together. And I always joked, you know, we were each other's best friends because half the time we were each other's only friends. (laughs) And so, um, you know, we stayed that way. Even when we came to America, if I did cheerleading. He did football. If he went into the youth ministry, I became the leader of the youth ministry. It was just, we did everything together. And at 24 years old, I was 27. He gets killed in a motorcycle accident instantly. I was at a Sunday evening church group where we actually sit in contemplative prayer and meditate together um, and listen for the Lord. And then we discussed things. I got this text from a friend and it said, you know, sorry about what happened with your family. Oh, and I said, God, what are you talking about? I thought they they texted the wrong person, right? What do you mean my family? My family's fine. And he's like, call your mom. What? Why? Call your mom. Okay. And so I call my mom, no answer. I call my uh, dad, no answer. I call my brother and I say, hey, Miles, something happened in our family. Call me back. Um, And so, you know, as I'm going and then I get to the house and the police are all around. Oh, and I called my father and I said, I said, where are you? Because I knew if someone was hurt, they'd be at the hospital. I said, he's at home. I said, where's Miles? I just knew it was him. Hmm. And he's, and I made the couple of calls I needed to make to the pastors and things. And then I just grabbed the ground screaming. I wanted to melt into the earth and die with him because he was my other half. Mm -hmm. Like everything was about both of us. You couldn't mention one without mentioning the other. We would go, we live really close to Disneyland. We had passes. We'd go like every single week together and we'd go to each other's houses for music. We were like best, best friends. So in this, I, I don't eat for a month. I'm like a zombie. I remember a friend then telling me, one of the happy women's society people, she said, I'm so sorry for your loss. And this was the first time I could ever relate to you because I always thought you were bulletproof and you had no problems and that, you know, you couldn't, you just weren't relatable. 
Mm. And that hit me like a ton of bricks Mm. because I, you know, of course, you want to focus on the things that you want and have faith and, and be positive. And yet you have to be authentic. And I loved, um, I think it was episode 40 where the gentleman from Australia speaks about being authentic, even in ministry, because Mm -hmm. I think it's so hard as a leader. And so that really led a journey of self-exploration for me. And I think a journey that many of us in the church need to take this dark night of the soul, as Mother Teresa would describe it, where you're really excavating the things that aren't pretty about yourself, your faith, the way that you've lived it out. A lot of silent times, a lot of monastery visits, a lot of um, mentoring under monks and pastors. And I've been blessed to travel all around the world and attend different churches and lead worship in different countries and continents. And by all of that exploration into myself and into the true self that God really created, it's helped me to walk alongside people rather than, and I still, honestly, my, my egoic self or false self, the easy part, like make it easy, wants to slap the affirmation on and say, it's okay. Jesus will figure it all out for you again. Yes, that's true. And, and it hurts now. And I'm with you here in the morning. And one time I described it to a friend, I was going through one of the dark nights of the soul. Cause it does, it doesn't happen once. Sorry for those out there listening. Who's <laughs> like, okay, get through that once and we'll be good. But there's, there's deserts in life. And, um, I was going through one and I knew it and I was on my face in prayer and I was just, you know, and there's something that my pastor said, he said, you know, enjoy these times with God, these, these hard, hard times, because there's a closeness yes. there. That's just that's different true. than what you experience in the height. So true. Yeah. When you're on your face, mm. And you're weeping with God. He's holding you in a way that is, it, there's nothing that compares to it. You still don't want the bad times, but that, that closeness is wonderful. And so I had a really well-meaning friend from a church I was attending in Monaco at the time. She was telling me, you know, it's going to get better and everything works out through Jesus. And I, I said, I know that. I absolutely know that. But what it feels like right now is that I got run over by a truck. And my femur is popping out of my leg and there's blood everywhere. And you're telling me you're going to run again one day. And I say, I know that (laughs) right now it hurts Mm. right now. um, You know, I'm panicked right now. It's a long road ahead of recovery and Mm. physical therapy before I can run. And so being with the people in the right now and not rushing them along to a future heaven on earth um, and finding the gratitude for the hard times that's getting into the true self and the true self is beautiful and not always easy no you know it's a lot easier Mm. to be in our false egoic selves that go along with everything the world is doing and succeed the way the world is succeeding and look the way the world looks even right now i'll be honest with you i've been in this journey of doing some TV shows and authoring um, books and, and none of it makes money right now. And there's people who are like, well, you need to go out and make money. You need to go do these things, you know, monetize everything. <laughs> everything is monetized. Right? And, which again, I am not against, I think it's wonderful to, to be the lender, not the borrower, really be wise with your finances. But God b- blessed me and encouraged me through this time. I was a flight attendant and saved up lots of money, several years worth of income to do what I'm doing now. And so sure, I would like to not have to go through that if possible. (laughs) 
<laughs> I uh, would like to just start making money again, of course. But if, but right now, every time I've gone to like try to make a little money or monetize or do this, God's pretty much told me, if you don't go where I called you and do what I tell you to do, you're going to end up in the belly of the whale. Mm. You need to do this mm. right now. And you're not going to be in Nineveh forever, but you need to go there now. Mm. And so, uh, you know, it's a struggle, especially when the voices around you are saying, monetize, <laughs> you know, go get a job, <laughs> which again, didn't have the money to sustain myself right now. I would absolutely have to go do that. But God put it on my heart years in advance. Start saving, start getting ready for this. I have this in store for you. And, you know, you've saved in order to do this. And of course, we're in a world of, no, you save to put it into investment houses and flip them and make more money. And, and you know, which again, I think is great, 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 which is not always where God's calling you to. And sometimes I really relate to Joseph right now, oh, you know, definitely. sometimes. And then Potiphar's wife sends you to jail. And I feel like coronavirus is closing up. A lot of us yeah. feel like we've been in a one year of jail, right? Um, but if Potiphar's wife wouldn't have falsely accused him, he, and he wouldn't have gone to jail and interpreted the dreams, he would have never been second to Pharaoh in all the land and done what God calls him to do. And so I think as Christians, we have to remember, yes, God's plans for us are good and perfect for hope in a future. And that doesn't mean he won't use jail or mm -hmm. some other seeming setback mm -hmm. to bring us to that hope in a future. And I think that's something that's not preached because it's not popular. Um, it's, because again, we have this kind of extremes in Christianity where it's like prosperity gospel, everything's going to be great or everything's going to be horrible and you're going to like suffer all the time, you know, but really there's both in life and, and ultimately he's, he's a good, good father who gives good gifts and has hope and a future for us. And along that path, there may be jail, there may be false accusations, there may be all kinds of things on the way to that hope in the future. And so, um, you know, I think we have to trust God, especially I think we're still on the hopefully tail end of a pandemic right now and trusting that even though we may feel in jail, even though we may feel in just one of the pits of life in the belly of a whale, God has hope in a future for us. Amen. And he's a good, good father, a giver of good gifts. And we have to trust him in those dark times. But the dark times will come. And so that's where I talk a lot about, you know, God's good. Here's all the ways he's been good to me. And one thing I really encourage people to do is just like the Israelites, you know, when they came out of Egypt, they would sing, and God gave us water from a rock, and he gave us manna from heaven, and he parted the seas for us, and he released us from the Egyptians, and they'd sing, and they'd sing about it. And so for me, I go, Oh yeah, God gave me a hundred dollar place to rent when I moved to Kansas, which is like impossible to rent somewhere for a hundred dollars a month. And he provided that for me when I asked and he gave me this job that took 10 years of experience and I had none. And then God sent me here and then God let me do this. And I sing and I praise God for all the things he's already done because it reminds me of his character. Even if I'm in a time that may be hard and dark now, I remember his character and all the things he's done for me. And I think it's so important to remind ourselves. Sometimes I uh, take communion and when I receive the bread, I receive his nets overflowing, water to wine changing, Red Sea parting, Boaz to Ruth giving, Rebecca to Isaac giving, healing thousands with, uh, and, and feeding thousands with baskets of leftovers, he healing all who came to him. And then I say promised land, flowing with milk and honey, with grapes so big they take two of us to carry, with vineyards and olive groves we didn't even plant, 
systems we didn't dig, cities we didn't build, and homes richly stocked with goods we didn't make. Because here's the thing, sometimes God blesses us in such a huge way that there's no way we could have ever built that on our own. And in fact, that's how we know it's God, right? But it really brings me to the point, because I listened carefully, and um, the vulnerability that you've shown just now in what you said is something that you refer to for leaders in general, people who are senior pastors, perhaps they're heads of departments, etc. Why do you think it's important? I think you've said it more or less, but why is it? Speak to them. <laughs> why do they need to be more vulnerable than some of them are? So my pastor, who no longer likes to be called a pastor, but can't think of a better name at the moment, back when he was leading the church, I think I was 15 years old or so. I, I had been driven to church. I was 14 or 15 and I was sitting on a Thursday night and the pastor gets up and he's giving the message about the Garden of Gethsemane. And this pastor has struggled with depression. He is very open about it. And he sits down on the stage. So he's almost eye level with everyone. And he says, I forgot to take my depression meds the other day. And I felt like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. I felt like all my friends had fallen asleep on me and that no one was there in my pain and my struggle. And me as a 14, 15 year old kid, with so many struggles, you know, when you're that age, everything seems the end of the world. I thought, I can relate to this guy. This guy isn't some guy up there in a tie pretending to be perfect. He's really telling me about what he's going through. And though it may not be exactly what I'm going through, I related to feeling like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane because he really brought it home. And that means he had to, he had to admit that he took depression medication. He had to admit mm. that he dealt with depression. And you know what? So much of the population does. And so, first of all, it helps normalize it for those who deal with those kind of problems. Second of all, it helps those who are dealing with it just realize there's someone who loves God who's leading a church, who's truly connected, that that has those problems too. Because I think a lot of times, you know, some people can feel like, oh, if I'm depressed or anxious, I'm dealing with a demon or something, you know, and I'm obviously not holy and God doesn't love me and I'm not a good Christian because mm -hmm. if I was a good Christian, I'd be happy all the mm -hmm. time and perfectly perfect, right? And so, yeah, I think it's so important, whatever your struggle is, first of all, like, any struggle, it's just better to have it out there in the open anyway, because, you know, when we hide something, it eventually gets exposed and it grows, right? Um, but when we can just be real, like, even if a pastor's like, look, I struggle with lust, I don't give into it, but I struggle with it. And, you know, that's why I don't have any meetings with women alone. So this is why, you know, and being honest about that. Um, you know, that's something that you wouldn't ever want to say in church. But first of all, it makes somebody not feel offended if you're not going to meet with them you know, alone. And second of all, it helps the men out there go, wow, I struggle with that too. Maybe I shouldn't meet with women alone. Um, you know, but you have to admit the struggles and not just say, if you all struggle with this, <laughs> yeah. then you should do that yeah. <laughs> because it just doesn't home yeah. as much as like look I struggle with this Same I, Raina, some with some leaders have a, an issue with being that real because they feel as though if they show <laughs> weakness that other people won't be strong uh, what would your answer be to that well in the in the example I just gave you know like sure uh say I struggle with lust 
and here's how I deal with it so that I don't give in to temptation. Here's how I flee with tempta- from temptation. I don't put myself in tempting places. And here's how I work it out. You know, um, it's not, you know, and you could even say, and I've, there's pastors out there who have hidden it for so long and then they finally have to come out and because they gave in to temptation, right? I think, sure, people are going to see you as human and not some demigod in the pulpit, but I think that's a good thing. Um, because when we see our pastors as demigods in the pulpit, we often elevate them to a place that is unattainable anyway. Um, we elevate them in a way that we maybe even put them in the place of Christ. And this is where you see people, um, you know, if a pastor leaves, they leave the whole church, you know, the pastor may not even be a pastor, anyone else, but they leave the church because it was all about the pastor. And that's where I think. We need to let the congregation know, like, sure, I'm just your shepherd and the shepherd is imperfect. Mm -hmm. Um, I do my best and I need to be above reproach, especially as your shepherd, your pastor. And here's how you can learn from me some of my mistakes, but also my safeguards you could use as your own safeguards. And I think it's so important to just be honest. Uh, You spoke about it in that other episode uh, with pastor from Australia. What was his name? Terry Nightingale. Nightingale. Yes. You spoke about it where, you know, even we see now with people who are influencers with thousands and thousands of followers and millions, it's because they're vulnerable and people can relate to them. And there's only so, and, and maybe this is also part of the reason we see people leaving the church in droves because they can't relate to that perfect demigod up in the pulpit or the people around him that are pretending to be demigods too, and also perfect. Nobody can relate to that. And the, the thing is, those people aren't perfect. No. Those people Nobody do have is. struggles. Yeah. Right. And it's just that, and again, I was the worst of them. I was like, oh, well, you know, I got married so young and I'm perfect. And I, I you know, I'm <laughs> so pure. And let me show you my house that we bought. And I I brought these stepchildren into my life. How good of a person I am, you know, and all I could show is like, look how perfect I, my life is. And nobody could relate to me. right? Um, And so, yeah, it's so important that we just are, it doesn't mean we have to like be out airing our laundry all the time. It just means like that people can open up to us because we're not acting holier than thou in any way. What it is, Raina, is I think you revealed to me, we won't say how old, but you're in the kind of, um, let's say, the mature millennial category. And um, this sort of authenticity actually started off with that generation where, you know, we have reality TV and people air all their dirty linen. And then you've got my generation, (laughs) which is slightly older. And um, we talk about um, not airing our, you know, dirty linen in public. Uh, That's how I I grew up. You know, my my mother, my late mother would always say, don't tell people your business. That's exactly what she would say. Um, Keep it to yourself. It's in the family and whatever. So I personally struggled for many, many years with the same thing so I think it's a it's an approach but I I I think sometimes people go so far down the other way 
that there is nothing else to be, uh-huh. you know, revealed. So it's all about balance, really. But your book is, I mean, I have not absolutely read it all, balance. but it's absolutely brilliant. And, um, you know, it's definitely something that I, there are a couple of things that you said in there that I really related to. I mean, one of them was about living with a mask and, um it, you know, and the other thing mm. was uh, nutritious intimacy, which you've already spoken about or intimated so far. Mm. I'd recommend everybody get this book. Uh, it doesn't matter whether you're listening and you're a pastor, you might be a leader in uh, parts of a department within the church, you might be running a ministry or not. Um, wherever you are, what stage you are, this is an essential book. Sin tastes good. Um, living in an empty calorie world is that right <laughs> nourishing nourishing your soul empty in an empty world. calorie and world that 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 kind of analogy mm. has is obviously drawn from your time as a fitness instructor as well so I love the mm-hmm. way you've used and Paul you know I admit though Paul said it first not me <laughs> but you know um but, but, I, we can you know honor the greats that have gone before us and Apostle Paul was one of them another not perfect man uh, we've been doing some you know we have a bible study group my husband and I and uh, we've been talking about first Corinthians and all and I'm I've even even fought faults with the way things were approached so they were not perfect but so much wisdom oh yeah and so much wisdom. I used to hate Paul to be honest <laughs> I, I've never Paul was not my favorite Bible yeah, for a long time <laughs> I guess it's this um some of it is to do with um some of the what what people would term as uh, some of the sexist uh things that he's supposed to have said but the problem is that sometimes we have to contact <laughs> I think he was also still just had that Roman soldier jerk about him. Like he just was a very abrupt person. Like God transformed him, but he still had that history of being like a not nice Roman soldier. So he didn't know how to like put things very nicely. (laughs) That's why he was like stoned and things a few times, you know, like there was a reason people didn't like him then either. (laughs) But, you know, there's so much... But it doesn't make his message any no, less. No, let's not take yes, it away absolutely. from that. So, Raina, where can we get the book? Sure. Um, you can get the book on Amazon.com, no matter where you live in the world. Um, if you're in America and you'd like a signed copy, you can go to my website, which is Raina-Rose.com, and just write me a note that you'd like a signed copy and we'll arrange Venmo or some way for you to get it with the shipping and everything. So yeah, but Amazon.com is the best way to to get it. Uh, if you'd like to, oh, you could also reach out to me on Instagram. That's a good way to contact. I'm very active on there, and it's just Raina Rose TV, as well as YouTube. All of my platforms are Raina Rose TV. Well, all the details of the book, um, your social media handles, your website will be going on the show notes as well. And I have really enjoyed speaking to you. I've really enjoyed the book. And it's unusual because I'm, I, you know, I do read. I, I, I feel like, you know, sometimes I like to watch rather than actually read. But I actually really enjoyed this read. Um, and I got a lot out of it. I had to do, ask myself some reflective questions, which incidentally you've got in the book as well. 
So look out for Raina's information in the show notes. Raina, I want to say thank you so much for your time. I do not take time for granted at all. Um, and best with the book sales as, as you go along and for all the other parts of your ministry. You've been a real blessing. Thank you so much for having me, Minister Madge. It has been just a joy uh, conversating with you this whole Thank time. Thank you. you. Thank you so much.